hey, we have been here the last several weeks journeying through the book of Philippians. And I hope you guys have been enjoying this journey. I am absolutely loving it. I have been in ministry since I was 19. I am not that anymore. I am a little older than that. I'm 47, so you can count those years. Um, I've been doing ministry a long time, preaching a long time, and for 20-some years in my life, I was a topical preacher. We would take topics and series and we would preach on that. And uh, this year, uh, we felt the Lord begin to shift our heart and to raise up better disciples of Jesus. And I am loving teaching verse by verse and walking through that. It is ministered to my heart. I'm loving it in our family, but I'm loving our table groups. I don't know how many of you guys are involved in a table group. If you're not, you need to get connected to a table group. TK's in ours tonight. I don't know why we did it. It isn't like Sunday's a busy day around my household or anything. We have our table group from 4 to 6 p.m. So I preach two times today, drive home, and uh, then we got to scramble around to clean the house, you know, because people are coming over. And, uh, and then we do a table group at our house. And we don't have a small table group. We have a small church in my living room. We have 40 people in our table group, and uh, that's adults and kids. It's mass chaos, and, uh, you know, we like involving them in the conversations and the questions. For many years, Tasha and I would do life groups with only adults, and this year we thought, man, we need to invest in our kids, and so we've got about 20 kids sitting in our living room every Sunday night, and they're a part of the conversations, and we're involving them, and we're loving it, and it's crazy, but we love it. And so over the last 11 weeks, 11 to 12 weeks, we've journeyed all the way from Philippians chapter 1 to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But earlier in chapter 2, we see that Paul begins to point to Jesus. And he's like, Jesus ultimately is our example, right? Of humility and sacrifice. And you can't read verse 19 through 30, you can't read that talking about Timothy and Epaphrodites without remembering what Paul pointed to concerning Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8. And one of the things I've learned as we've journeyed through this series is I think oftentimes we take too much verse by verse or paragraph by paragraph or whatever, and we forget that when they were actually writing the text, they didn't give verse numbers. They didn't give chapters. And so it all is a connecting story, but too often we segregate it and make it its own thing. But Paul is speaking so much here in Philippians and he's connecting it back. It's like everything is building on top of each other. And so you can't look at verse 19 through 30 about Paul or about Timothy and Epaphrodites without also looking back to what Paul has been saying. And he's pointing in Philippians chapter two, verse three through eight to Jesus. And he says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interests, but take on the interests of yours. You must have the attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So we can't look 
At verse 19 through 30, without also seeing this. And when you read these verses right here in just three through eight, you see a great example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You see tremendous traits of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. I think if the church could get Philippians chapter two, verse three through eight, if we could just get that, we could change the world. I think if we could just get that inside of us, it would make a huge impact. And Timothy and Epaphrodites, they model these verses. And what we see from Scripture and how I interpret this is Timothy and Epaphrodites are model Christians. They are disciples. They are selfless. They are humble. They are others-oriented. They are fearless. They are servant-minded. They are obedient, and they are gospel Focus and they're traits that we all need to emulate. All these things Paul has been teaching us up to this point in Philippians. And Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, hey, I'm sending these men to you and I want you to learn from them. I want you to emulate them. I want you to follow their example until I can get there. And what I want you to think about as we walk through today's message and as you sit in your table groups and as you look at the notes and the talk it overs, I want you this week, even today, to ask yourself, am I modeling these traits in my life? Am I humble? Am I obedient? Am I selfless? Am I others Focus. I want you to look at that this week as we walk through this message. Let's read it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I, too, will shortly come. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow." I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. Everybody say all joy. joy. I'm not going to preach on joy today, but I'll just tell you this week, I believe the Lord is beginning to, I believe across the board here at Destiny Church, we're going to begin to experience a season of joy. That's just what I feel in my heart, and I've been praying about it and asking the Lord to give me some things so I can bring full clarity to that, but I think some of you need more joy, all right? So we're just praying for that. So receive him with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We're going to talk about these two men today and the traits um, that they have. We're going to talk about a life of service. Let's pray. Father, I ask just in these next few moments, would you be in this room today? Lord, I just ask that you speak to every single one of us. Give us clarity today. 
Speak freely in this room. Direct my words. Direct my thoughts. I don't want to speak anything outside of your desire for today. And give every one of us ears to hear and a heart to respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever been asked the question, or maybe you've asked this question yourself, what is my purpose? What is God's plan for my life? Or do you have a dream? And I would say that all of us, if we're asked that question, do you have a purpose? Or do you have a plan or a dream? The answer is yes, God has a purpose for every one of us. And I would say that all of us, have a dream and a desire for that. Every one of us have aspirations. Every one of us have dreams. Every one of us have goals. All of us in this room, we have desires. Desires. We have a picture in our brain of what we think life should look like. I remember when I was a kid, I was not going to be a pastor. I remember that. I remember thinking that very clearly. I am fifth generation on one side, third generation on the other. The last thing in the world I wanted to do was do what I'm doing right now. I remember people would tell me, you're going to be a preacher. And I'd say, no, I'm not. And then I remember as a kid thinking, people saying, you need to go on a missions trip. And I'd like, I'm never going to missions. And now I have somebody from Zimbabwe living in my guest room. You know, it's like all these things. And I remember thinking, I want to be a businessman and I want to make a lot of money. I'm a pastor, I do a lot of missions work, and well, I don't make a lot of money. So, you know, we all have dreams, we all have goals, but it doesn't always work out maybe the way we think that it should. My youngest son is nine years old, his name is Malik. He wants to play in the NFL. I don't have the heart to tell him, you know, you're a talented kid, but boy, probably not gonna happen. My oldest son, 19, he is, his name is Makai. He, from two years old, he was always like, I'm gonna be a major league baseball player and a pastor. Well, I'll just tell you, he's not gonna be a major league baseball player because he hurt his arm his senior year, you know, but he is probably going to be a pastor. But all of us have desires and all of us have goals. And I would say no matter what our desire or what our goal is, most of us probably have a desire to make a difference. All of us, no matter what we do in life, desire to make a difference in somebody else's life. And I would say the greatest way we can make a difference in people's lives is, let's go back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul said, live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And I want you to know, as I said earlier, I believe that everything Paul has taught us up to this point has all really been connecting to that verse. I believe it's all been tying to that. How do we live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? Well, here's Jesus, here's my life, and now I'm going to teach you about Timothy and Epaphrodites. Live in a manner. So if you want to make a difference in somebody's life, no matter what your career is, live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. I believe when you surrender your life fully to Jesus and when you live for him, you set yourself up to make a difference no matter what your career choice is. And today, we're studying a passage, a passage of scripture that shows us that God wants to use us no matter the title we have in front of our name. I believe God wants to use us. And as I said, the last few weeks, we've looked specifically at Philippians chapter two. And I believe Philippians chapter two, I will just tell you guys this, as I've studied it, I think it's some of the deepest, most theological, most passionate teachings of Paul. I love chapter 
too. I think it's some of the best teaching he has in all of the New Testament. In this chapter, in this chapter right here, we've looked at the example of Jesus. We've looked at Paul. We've walked through all of it. And when we read verses that like lit, like verse four and five that says, consider others better than yourself. When we read that, we think, hey, I agree with this. This makes sense for the most part. We should think of others. We should be servant minded, but let's admit it in this world. The problem with being other centered and servant minded is we're also very self-centered, right? Right? Or is that just me? Am I the only person in the room that might be a little bit self-centered? We like to think of ourselves, so we might agree that, hey, I need to be servant-minded. I need to be others-focused. But the problem is we, me, I keep getting in the way. We expect Paul to live this, to teach it, to preach it. We expect pastors to live this, to teach this, to preach it. But for the average everyday person sitting in the room or listening online or the average person who might hear about this sermon down the road, we think, yeah, that's a great example. Example, but it's unrealistic for me because I have so much going on in my life. And in these verses, chapter 19 through 30, Paul challenges this notion. But something that's interesting in chapter, nine, in chap, in chapter 2, verse 19 through 30, is Paul switches gears. And as I said, Paul, up to this point, has been beautiful teaching. But then Paul, right in the middle switches gears. And I, I just want to be 100% honest with you. As I said, this is really my first time as a pastor teaching our church verse by verse, where we literally walk through and look at and reference every verse in the text. And when I was reading through this, I thought verse 19 through 30, we're just going to skip right past it. I thought we're not going to preach on it because there is nothing here in this text I thought, man, this isn't very glamorous. That's really what I thought. There's like nothing that's really going to point out much for us. But as I started reading this, my thinking changed. And I believe that Paul has some powerful teaching for us right here in these 12 verses. But in these 12 verses, Paul gives us a travel log. For the rest of chapter two, he's going to tell us about the travel plans of two guys, Timothy and Epaphrodites. He's going to tell us kind of what their journey is going to look like. But, and if you read Paul's letters, most of his letters end with a travelogue. He kind of gives plans of what his next travel idea is. But I, it was interesting to me that right in the middle of this chapter, he gives a travelogue. So he doesn't save it till the end, right in the middle of one and two power packed, three and four power packed, ending it verse 19 through 30 of chapter two, he gives us the travelogue. So why did he do this? I believe the answer is, and I want you to catch this, write this down. Why did Paul do this right here in the middle? Because Paul wanted us to have a living, breathing example of an ordinary person who was living out what he'd been teaching. Paul wanted us to see everyday, ordinary people who were living out everything he had been teaching. People just like you, people just like me, all right? So let's look at these two guys. I'm going to read about them just a little bit. I'm going to give you just a little teaching on them, who they are, but we're going to look at how does this apply to my life. All right, let's look at Timothy first. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, 24. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Then when he comes back, he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. 
All the others only care for themselves and not and not for what matters to Jesus. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has helped me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what is going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come and see you soon. Let's just talk a little bit about Timothy. I think it's important that you understand who this man is. Timothy, his mother was a Jewish Christian, his father was a Greek and probably very ungodly. We see this when you look through Timothy, you see that script, uh, Timothy learned scripture from his mother and his grandmother as a child. It is believed that Paul led Timothy to the Lord during his first missionary journey. Um, and so we see that. And then Acts chapter 16 tells us that Timothy was with Paul when he planted the church in Philippi. So the church in Philippi knows Timothy very well. And Timothy has served Paul for years. Some people think that up to this point, he had served with him 10 plus years. So double digit years serving with somebody in ministry is a long time. Especially if you look at today, the average staff member stays in a church now today 18 months. I heard the average youth pastor, I have not seen this statistic myself, but I've heard the average youth pastor now stays in a church nine months. And so we see that Timothy is with Paul for double digit years. This is a long time. And Paul's talking about his track record. He has proven himself. He has proven himself to be faithful. And Timothy, he even refers to him as a true son in the faith. And in this passage, we, Paul explains to the church in Philippi that, hey, I'm getting ready to send Timothy to you, but he's not coming yet. And this is probably some disappointing news for the church in Philippi because, number one, they wanted Paul there, but he's not able to come. So they thought, hey, we'll take second best. That's Timothy. And Paul says, hey, I'm not sending him. I'm, I'm going to send somebody else. Something else concerning Timothy, and this was interesting to me, is some people teach that Timothy was very timid and fearful. And they get this from Paul's instructions to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7 when Paul says, do not have a spirit of fear. But how I disagree with that teaching that Paul is calling Timothy fearful and timid because how could he do what he does with Paul being afraid? Right? You've got to be bold and courageous. He's literally tending to Paul right here in prison. And he's knowing by being associated with Paul, it could even connect him to that. So I just personally cannot see that he was fearful and timid, but if you do, that's, that's fine with me. Others say that Timothy was physically sick. They get that from Paul teaching Timothy, hey, have a glass of wine for your tummy, right? So they think maybe he was sick. What we do know about Timothy is he was a young man. So whether he was timid, which I don't believe, whether he was sick or simply young, Paul commends Timothy for three qualities. Let's look at three qualities of Timothy. Number one, he cared for people. How do we get that? Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. This is not an act for Timothy. He genuinely cares for people. And if I could put a modern day example of somebody who reminds me of Timothy, I would have to tell you it's my own father. My dad cares for people as much or more than anybody I know on this planet. He makes me oftentimes feel like horrible how much he will do 
for people and how he will go above and beyond for anyone. He is very, very selfless. He genuinely cares for people. And, and Timothy, what Paul is telling us is Timothy is someone who has been living out all that Paul has been teaching. He cares for people. Second thing that I believe we see here is Timothy lives sacrificially. He lives sacrificially. Verse 21, all the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus. Timothy wasn't self-absorbed. He didn't live for his own comfort and good. He lived sacrificially to follow Jesus, even when, as I said, it could cost him potentially just by being connected to Paul. And then third, Paul commends Timothy because he proved himself. Verse 22, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Timothy has a good track record over an extended period of time. He's not just been hanging out with Paul for nine months and Paul doesn't really know him. Paul knows him. He is a great example of a person who's made a difference in the lives of others because of his attitude toward others and his willingness to sacrifice. Timothy is a great example. If you want to see somebody who's been living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, go look at Timothy. Second person we see here is Epaphrodites. Let's read about him in just a moment. But just, I want you to remember before we go on, the church is probably upset because number one, Paul's not coming, Timothy's not coming, and they're getting the third stringer, Epaphrodites. Now, they know Epaphrodites, and we'll show this. They, he was out of their church, but they're probably upset, but he's also a great example for us to emulate. Let's look at it, verse 25 through 30. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphrodites back to you. He is a true brother, a faithful worker, a courageous soldier, and he was your messenger to help me in my need. Now I'm sending him home again, for he has been longing to see you, and he was very distressed that you heard he was ill, and he surely was. In fact, he almost died, but God had mercy on him and also on me that I would not bear have such unbearable sorrow." So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and that will enlighten all my cares. Welcome him with Christian love and with great joy, and be sure to honor people like him, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while trying to do for me the things you couldn't do because you were far away. So what do we know about Epaphrodites? Well, his name means favored by Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love. His name eventually comes to mean loving or lovely. He most likely comes from a very ungodly background, and most people believe he was saved during Paul's missionary journey through Philippi. And when Paul found himself in chains in Rome, the church in Philippi was concerned for Paul and they wanted to help. Paul would have needed money, he would have needed food, he would have needed clothing, all of that. And remember, there's no PayPal, no Venmo, no Cash App, so they have to send somebody, and it's a physical journey. Seven to 800 miles that Epaphrodites would have had to go by ship and walking and all of that. And during his journey, the Bible tells us he becomes very ill to the point of death. And Paul and someone around him or Paul's team or somebody in that area nursed this man back to health. And Paul is like, hey, I know you just made this long journey to be with me, to tend to me, but I need you to do something for me. All right. I need you to take this letter back to the church in Philippi to encourage them. And obviously I can't take it. Timothy can't take it. So I need you to do it. And Epaphrodites had this mentality like I will do it. So here you have two average people, everyday, ordinary people, yet they make a huge impact. One of them was young, 
potentially timid, potentially sick. The other we know was sick and not the church in Philippi's first choice, but Paul's like, hey, I'm sending these guys to you. One's coming now, the other will come soon. But Paul feels it's necessary when he's speaking of Timothy, but I think he's really connecting it to both of these in verse 21 when he says all the others. Now, I tried to figure out who the others are. You can look at Romans chapter 16. Paul tells, lists a lot of names of people. I don't know if that's who he's talking about, but all the others, we don't know who they are. Maybe they were you know, prophets of the time. Maybe they could draw big crowds. Paul's like, but hey, all the others, they only care for themselves, not for what matters to Jesus. But these two, they are loyal. They are faithful. They are servant-oriented. They are God-focused and they consistently come through. I want you to, I want you to meet them. I want you to greet them. And so I want you to hear me. I want you to catch this. For Timothy and Epaphrodites, it wasn't their ability It wasn't their talent. It wasn't their money. It wasn't their charisma. It wasn't their charm. It wasn't their notoriety that made a difference. Listen to me. It was their willingness to be servants. I think if we could get this down of what it means to be servants, we could change the church. We could change the world. So let me switch gears on you for just a moment as I begin to make this practical for us today, I want to ask you a question. Who is it that's made an impact on your life? Who is it that's made an impact on your life? What are one or two or three people outside of family who have made an impact on your life and they've shaped you to this day? Like you can look back and say, that person helped to mold me and shape me. My guess is they were probably ordinary people. They weren't extraordinary, big name, famous pastors. Yeah, you might have listened to a sermon or watched something online by some big name guy and and it tickled your heart. But I would say the people that have made a major impact on your life weren't famous pastors, weren't famous YouTubers or athletes or TikTokers or anybody famous. I would say they were average, ordinary everyday people. They cared about you. They were committed to you. They were invested in you. And as I said, my dad, yes, he's family, but my dad is one of the greatest examples of this of anybody I know. He cares. He invests. But somebody else that models this very, very well is my wife, The other night, we were laying in bed about 10 o'clock, and a teenage girl, we haven't done youth ministry in years, but a teenage girl called my wife, and I'm like, what's she wanting? She's like, I've been been pouring into her, and I come to find out she's been investing in all these teenage girls and just helping them learn how to be a woman of God, and I'm just, I'm amazed as I watch people that are just generous with their time and their talent, and their treasure. And my wife and my dad both do an incredible job. Why do I say all this? Because most oftentimes, it's not extraordinary people who make a difference. It's those of us who are ordinary, who commit to being everyday servants. So here, I want you to get something. Never underestimate the influence of an ordinary person. Whether that's yourself or somebody else that's investing in you. I'll tell you, for a lot of years in ministry, I was looking for the big name person to invest in me. 
and I found out the people that invest the most are average pastors or average leaders or average people, but they care. So never underestimate the power of an average, ordinary person who commits, number one, to dying to themselves, becoming a servant of, of Jesus, and loving others. And I've discovered over the years, and I really, as I looked at this message, I thought, man, there must be a creed or some principles that everyday people just kind of live by. And, I'm, and through this, I think I've discovered three things that everyday people live by. People like Timothy and Epaphrodites. Now, I want to challenge you today to listen to these three principles. And I want you to ask yourself, like I said, again, at your table group this week, at your table group with your family, talking around the table, I want you to figure out, am I modeling these traits? Number one, Everyday, ordinary disciples, they understand that it's less about me and it's more about Jesus. Everyday, average, ordinary disciples understand it's not about me, it's about Jesus. Everyday disciples don't live for themselves. I want you to hear me, and, and please understand, I'm not, I'm not judging or condemning or anything like that, but everyday, ordinary disciples that make a difference, they don't live for themselves. They live for something greater than, hey, I'm just going to go to work, I'm going to pay the bills, I'm going to do my vacation, I'm going to spend all the money that I have that, on things that matter to me, I'm going to do what I love to do, I'm going to live my life how I choose, I'm going to make sure that I'm happy, and then rinse, lather, repeat until I die. No, everyday, average, ordinary disciples live for something that is greater than themselves. I love what Paul tells us in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I think this is a perfect picture of what our motto for life needs to be. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. My life is worth nothing unless I use my life for the work assigned to me by Jesus. Remember what I talked about at the beginning of this message. All of us have dreams. All of us have goals. All of us have career aspirations. This verse here in Acts chapter 20 and in what Paul is teaching us, this isn't simply aimed at pastors and prophets and evangelists and teachers. This is for all of us. No matter what I do for a living, whether you're a car salesman or a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a retiree or a third grade teacher or you build for a living, or whether you're a lawyer or whether you're a doctor, whatever it is, your life is worth nothing unless you use it for the work that has been assigned to you by Jesus Christ. No matter what you do, I want you to hear me. Your life is worth nothing if all you do is build a bank account and buy toys and play games and spend it on yourself. If you don't use your life for what Jesus has assigned to you, your life, Paul says, is worth nothing. You know, I think back to my Sunday school teachers when I was thinking about this story. Where I was an Assembly of God boy, and I think back to my Royal Ranger leaders. I don't know if any of you have ever went to Royal Rangers or Missionettes, but that's what I went to. And I think back to my leaders, and there's a lot of them. I, I, I don't remember their names. I had a lot of teachers. But I remember even some of them, I can picture their face, and I remember impacts they made in my life. Just little nuggets, little lessons. But there was one man I remember. He made an impact in my life, and I probably never told him his name was John. And John was a barber. He owned a barber shop in Nixa. And we called him John the Barber, a real original name. <laughs> but he was my Royal Ranger leader. And he would teach me and he would 
invested in me. And then he was my Sunday school teacher and he was always there. And I remember that guy probably doesn't know that he made an impact in my life. And I'm standing on a stage today. Yes, my family did this and I was invested into by my family and all of that. But John the Barber was an average, everyday, ordinary person and he made an impact in my life. And I believe that men like that stand before God one day and will get rewards for what's happening in ministries like ours today. They don't know it, but they've invested. John the Barber, when I was an eight-year-old boy, invested in Marshfield, Missouri. Think about that. He invested in Republic. He invested in Zimbabwe. He didn't know it, but he was investing as an average, everyday, ordinary human being. He made a difference. He made an impact in my life. The second thing I see is everyday disciples live by the principle that the greatest impact I can make is by serving others. The greatest impact I can make is by serving others. In the good days, in the bad days, and how many of you know there's some really, 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 really bad days? In those days, whether you feel like it or not, the greatest impact we can make is by serving others. And let me just kind of give you just a little pastoral challenge and thought for you just a moment. So a couple years ago, uh, my family and I, we had been to Florida for vacation and our daughter, Mariah, had just moved to Lynchburg, Virginia to go to college there with her husband. They were, she's getting her master's degree, he's getting his law degree, and they're finishing up school there. And when we finished our vacation, they were, Mariah and them were just moving there, so Tasha, I flew her to spend time to help Mariah get her house ready, and me and three boys drove home from Florida together. That was a trip all by itself. But I'll tell you, we found all the Buckies on the south side of, of America, you know? It's like, we're driving just like this, just so we can go to the biggest gas stations in the world. But anyway, and we're gonna have one here soon in Springfield. If you haven't been to one, it's my plug, go to Bucky's. It's cool, right? <laughs> but I remember we stopped on the way home by Church of the Highlands in, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and we wanted to go to church there. And I walked in their church. This was on a typical Sunday in the summer. And I walked in their church. And I've been to their church many times. And they are the greatest serving church I've ever been to in my life. People serving everywhere. And I walked in and I had to open the door by myself. That's interesting. You know, I'm a pastor. I observe these things. Tasha's like, you can walk in the church and see everything that's out of place. And you walk in our house and you don't see trash in the floor. I'm like, my brain is, you know, when I get home, it's like shut down. All right. But when I walk in a building, I just see everything that's right and everything that's wrong. And I walked into Church of the Highlands. I'm like, nobody shook my hand. I walk through the lobby. Nobody says anything to me or my kids. Nobody comes up and asks if, they want, if, if, if our boys want to go to class. I walk in the worship center. Nobody says hello. I sit down and I'm like, this is interesting. And after service, they take me back to go say hi to Pastor Chris Hodges. And I'm back in the green room talking with him. And I just said, hey, I said, I have a question for you. I said, in the summer, do you guys like just not do volunteers? And they said, no. They said, they said since we've come back from COVID, our volunteers haven't come back. They said, people are sitting in the seats, but they're not serving. And I'm just going to tell you, Pastor Mark and I have talked. We have a lot of people sitting in our seats, but we don't have a lot of people who have the mentality to serve. And you can just take this challenge as it's coming to me from love to you. You can take it, 
but we're selfish. We are consumers and we want to be fed. But listen to me, the greatest impact you can make in this world is to serve others. Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve others. TK and I have been talking quite a bit since he's been here the past three weeks. And he says one of the greatest things they struggle with in Zimbabwe because of their culture is their men oftentimes don't have a servant mindset. And he said, so Americans, we come in and they ask us to do leadership lessons and we talk about serving something we don't even have in our own churches really. And we challenged him and he said, and they, for two weeks they serve and everybody looks like the church and looks like what it should look like. Then everybody goes back to how it is. Can I just challenge us? If we want to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, serve others. Consider others better than yourself. We have this mindset, this mentality. We have this, let me say it this way. We have a desire at Destiny Church that everyone would serve one and worship one. And listen, this is, I didn't come here to preach on serving today. It just happened to be a part of the scriptures we're looking at and it stirred my heart. And I wonder how much more could we make an impact in the world if we would just serve others and not just in the church, outside the church. And I'm not saying this to pat me on the shoulder, but this is something the Lord's been working on me. I'm always in a hurry, always going. And I see people all the time. I think I don't have enough time to stop. Well, the other day I was driving. I dropped my son off somewhere. Actually, TK and Mackay, I dropped them off. We, we own a little company as a family. And so I dropped them off. They were doing some work. And I'm driving back out through this neighborhood. And I see an older man and an older lady with a tree laying in the middle of the road. And they're yanking and pulling on it. And, and I'm thinking, I'm in a hurry. I got to get somewhere. And I just felt this nudge from these scriptures. And I pull my car over and say, can I help you? And I help them cut this tree apart and pull this tree out to the side of the road. So I'm not saying, hey, we just need to serve in the church. No, we need to serve wherever we are. The greatest impact you can make is to serve others. People that have made an impact in my life weren't only Sunday school teachers. They were people that were there for me throughout my life. They were there, my grandparents being there for me. They they are people that have a mentality to serve others others. In freedom, we have this mentality. If you haven't walked through freedom yet, I encourage you to walk through freedom when we launch that this fall. But in freedom, one of the things we say is, I get to do this. It's not, I have to, or Pastor Mark's going to be upset at me, or I'm not going to have as good of a seat at Destiny Church. No, I get to do this. I get to serve others. I get to be fearless. I get to be loyal. I get to be obedient. I get to be others focused. I get to be focused on the gospel. I get to do this. I get to be a part of what God is doing in this world. I get to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. I don't have to. I choose to. I get to do this. And you know what? Every time I stand on this stage or preach, I realize it more now than ever. I get to do this. God has called me. 
God has called you to stand at a door and greet, to serve somebody coffee, to serve sound, to change a kid's diaper. You don't have to do this. We get to do this. And I think if we could change our mentality that I get to do this, we would experience more joy because we'd be doing it under the Lord and not as a job. And I think oftentimes we look at serving in the church or serving for the body of Christ as something we have to do. No, you get to put food in somebody's car for Ozark Food Harvest. You get to serve somebody. You get to make a difference. You are an average, everyday, ordinary person just like me. And the greatest impact we will ever make in somebody's life is to get down and serve them. It's an, it's an impact. And the third thing I see, and we close, is radical commitments produce extraordinary results. Radical commitments produce extraordinary results. Yes, I may be ordinary. Listen to me, y'all. It's comical to me that God puts me on a stage. Because people think, people see me on the stage and they think, like, I'm not Pastor Mark. I, Pastor Mark is a bubbly personality. He's like, what was all? Like, uh, that's not who I am. <laughs> I would rather come into a room and sit in the back corner and just watch everybody. I remember when we first started our church in Republic years ago, 2006, I would literally preach and I would sneak off the stage as fast as I could to hide in my office because I didn't want to talk to anybody because I, I, I was awkward at it. And Tasha's like, Chad, you can't be a pastor and not talk to people. I'm like, but I don't know how to do it. And so people all the time, they're like, you've got to have the most, you've got to be so energetic. No, I don't, I'm not. People are like, you've got to be confident. No, I'm not. But I know what I'm called to do. And if I trust in the Lord, I can produce extraordinary results, not by my power, but because of Jesus. So listen to me. You might be a stay-at-home mom. You might work on cars. You might build houses. You might be a third-grade teacher. You may never stand on a stage and preach a gospel message. You may never travel to Zimbabwe or lead a team to another mission trip. But God uses ordinary people when they make radical, risky commitments to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. Let me say it again. God uses ordinary people when they make radical, risky commitments to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. D.L. Moody. Many of us have probably heard that name. Great pastor. But did you know that D.L. Moody was a shoemaker? He only went to fifth grade and the first time, this is, I read this, the first time that D.L. Moody ever tried to become a part of a church, they used to have a membership test, I guess. He took a membership test and he failed. He didn't even get to be a part of the church he wanted to be a part of. And then one day he heard a preacher named Henry Varley say these words, the world is yet to see what God can do in, for, through a man who's ordinary, but he's wholly consecrated to God. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who fully commits to God. And D.L. Moody thought, what if I were that man? 
And you see D.L. Moody from that day forward live the rest of his life and he touched thousands and thousands and thousands of people for eternity because he was an ordinary man who made a radical, risky commitment to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And I wonder today as I close, what if you were that man? What if you were that woman? What if you were that grandparent? What if you were that stay-at-home mom? What if you were that person who says, God, I'm gonna make a radical and risky decision to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? What if you were that man? What if you were that woman? What if we were that person who radically made a decision to wholly live for Jesus in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? Timothy and Epaphrodites, they did that. And God used them in powerful ways. And I wonder what God would do in us if we allowed God to use us in extraordinary ways. You see, God would move in an extraordinary way, not because you're extraordinary, but because you're humble and you fully surrender your life to Jesus and you choose to be selfless and others-focused and fearless and servant-minded, obedient, and God-focused. And Destiny Church, we're challenging this in Republic today and we're challenging this in Marshfield today. Let's live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel and let's watch God do extraordinary things through us. I was thinking about it this week. Like what do I wanna do with the altar call here? And you know, I think we've probably done a good enough job in churches of preaching and a message that maybe inspires us for a moment. And we say, if you want to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, we stand in the room and we've forgotten it by the time we hit the four doors in the back of the room. And listen to me, it's not about you standing in here. It's about you doing it out there. So I'm challenging you today with the same thing that Henry Varley said to D.L. Moody. The world is yet to see what God could do through a man or a woman who fully committed to Jesus Christ. And I wonder today, will you be that man? Will you be that woman who fully surrenders? I, I just want to speak to some moms in the room. I just kind of feel a nudge in my heart. Moms, some of the greatest impact you can make is on your own babies. You see, I think sometimes we picture grandiose things when it comes to serving. Some of the greatest things you can do is serve your own family. And so there's a stay-at-home mom who's kind of wrestling with some guilt because you're maybe not doing enough. I just want to tell you today from the Lord, you're right where he wants you. You're doing exactly what he wants you to do, serving exactly who he wants you to serve. Okay? So invest in that. Don't begrudge that. Don't feel guilty. Do what God has called you to do. You're fully surrendering your life to Jesus. And I don't know who that's for, but I just feel kind of a nudge in my heart for a mom today. Don't feel guilty. Keep serving. Keep loving your own babies, but invest Jesus in them. Can I pray over you guys today? Father, I ask that this word does something in every single one of our hearts. Take it deep in us today. Lord, we want to make a difference. 
We want to change lives. We want to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray that we have the mentality that says, I get to do this. I get to make a difference. I get to serve. I get to be radical. I get to be fearless. I get to be obedient. I get to be humble. I get to live sacrificially. I get to do this. Lord, would you, would you take this deep inside of us today? Jesus, I just feel you in the room. I feel you in the room. I feel like this is your cry. This is your heartbeat going out. I feel like it's your words. What, could the, what would happen in the world if a church fully surrendered to you? What would happen in Marshfield, Missouri if we fully surrendered to to you. We'd win this city for Jesus. Revival would start. So Jesus, I pray that it happens right here. Let us be the catalyst. Let us be the launching point for a mighty, mighty move of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.